0: Well, this morning, uh, we are starting this new series. We're going to dive in. It's called Experiencing God, and that's my prayer for you, that you would experience God. When you read the book of Exodus, you must realize that you are reading your own story. Our journey is one of ups and downs, revealing our failures and showcasing God's faithfulness. And as we walk in the footsteps of the Israelites, allow God to move you from bondage to freedom from grumbling to wonder, and from idolatry to repentance. Over the next eight weeks, we, I believe that we're going to experience God in a new, powerful way. He is the great I Am, and I trust that we will meet Him through the Scriptures. Our Scripture for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1-10. to 10. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Exodus 1 to 10, uh, Exodus 3, 1 to 10. And we're going to read Moses' call to ministry together. And then I'm going to unpack the remainder of chapter 3 and 4 with you throughout the sermon. Let's read together in one voice. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are in submission to your word. And we recognize that there is a call of God upon our lives today. We might not be called to be pastors or to full-time ministry, but we believe in the priesthood of believers that you have called each one of us to be a part of your mission. And we have a unique function. We have something that only we can do. And so, Father, I pray that we'd embrace it today instead of rejecting it, that we would listen for the voice of God. And that we would respond without any excuses, but we would respond with obedience today. We want to do what Moses did. We want to do extraordinary things because we're obedient to you. We're following the voice of God. We're being led by the Spirit. So we pray your blessing this morning. Lord, I ask for your help and your empowerment. Without you, I cannot share your word to your people. In, in order for them to understand the Holy Spirit, must illuminate the Scripture to them. So Holy Spirit, come. And speak to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever hit rock bottom? What I mean is, have you ever felt like a failure? This is probably one of the lowest points in Moses' life. You see, he was guilty of first degree murder. Once Pharaoh had become aware of what he had done, he had to fear for his own life and well-being. He had run away as a fugitive to a foreign land. In order to get away from his past, he tried to create a new life with a new identity. He became a husband to a woman named Zipporah, and together they became parents to Gershom. And a long period of time had elapsed, suggesting that Moses had settled into a life of mediocrity. Moses went from palace palace prince in Egypt to solo shepherd in Midian. It was a big change. And it was Joseph, the forefather, who gave us the insight in Genesis 46-34 that all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. He didn't really pick a good career after coming from the palace. God took Moses from a lifestyle of privilege, and he was now here humbling him. God was teaching him how to lead sheep. And God was giving Moses the opportunity to explore the land because one day he would eventually lead more than a million people on a journey from Exodus to Canaan. Friends, you need to know today that God will not watch you run away from your calling. He won't. He will pursue you. He is the God that chases after you. His plan is for us, but it is also bigger than us. It involves many people And so Moses' obedience would dictate what would happen to more than one million Hebrews. Isn't that crazy? That one single life could impact and influence millions of people. doesn't matter what you've done in the past because our God is the God of second chances. This morning, I want to explore three reasons why we often reject God's calling upon our lives. And then I want to share with you and highlight four signs that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. The first reason why we often reject God is because of our self-worth. We find this in verses uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. And the scripture says, But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. See, Moses was not asked, Moses did not ask God uh, a silly question. He asked God a real question that he was struggling with Who am I? He had experienced identity crisis throughout his entire life. He was raised as an Egyptian, but he was born as a Hebrew. He was adopted. He was the adopted son of one of Pharaoh's daughters. And according to Exodus 6.20, Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. This is his true identity. He is a Hebrew, but he lived as a master in a palace when he should have been living among the Israelite slaves. Moses was not asked uh, to... Asked more difficult questions. He had to deal and wrestle with the inside voice within him. And he asked, why me? Why me? Why me? And why not him or her? Of all the people in the world, why did God choose Moses for this specific task? God had a plan for Moses before he was even born. And Moses experienced all that he had experienced because he was being prepared. He's being prepared to be used by God for such a time as this. Yeah, Moses felt like a nobody, but God had a plan. He wanted Moses to feel like a somebody. God gives us the self-worth that we never had. It is not the self-discovery of something that was always within us. Self-worth is given to us by God because he created us, he sustains us, and he is the one who calls us. So our self-worth is found in him, not within In reply to Moses' question, there are a few possible answers that God could have given him. One of the facts is that you were formerly a prince of Egypt, and I placed you in a palace for a reason. Another fact is that he was born a Hebrew, meaning that he could use him to deliver the Hebrews from the bondage of slavery. He could identify with both groups of people. But probably the best answer to this is, Moses, I chose you in spite of you. There was no self-worthiness in Moses that led God to choose him. Instead, God's simple answer to Moses' question was one of presence. I will be with you. And that's a promise that you can hold on to today, that God will be with you no matter how you feel, no matter what identity crisis you're going through. We have a God who will be with you and journey with you. So are you feeling discouraged today? Do you have low self-esteem today? Are you lacking in confidence today? Many people in Scripture did. David wrote and asked in Psalm eight, verse four, "What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them?" And again in Psalm one forty four, three, "Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you even think of them?" See, God's promise to those who are lacking self-worth is the promise of His presence. It's not about having self-confidence. It's about having a God confidence. The presence of God makes what seems impossible, possible. And your self-worth comes from God's infinite worth. How great he is, how awesome he is. That's where you're drawing your identity from. It is he who makes us worthy. The second reason why we run away from the call of God is that we think we're self-sufficient. We look at chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, and Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses revealed one of his weaknesses as another reason why the Lord should not choose him and should choose someone else to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians. First, Moses highlighted his lack of eloquence. He was not an orator by any means, and though he likely received some sort of education from Egypt, it didn't really seem to matter to him. He feared intellectual embarrassment by those who would be educated and those who would be eloquent, who could out-talk him and outwit him. Second, Moses highlighted what sounded to be like a speech impediment. He described this as being of slow of speech and tongue. And we wonder if Moses really had something that was going on, something physical. Did he have a stutter? Did he have a lisp? Perhaps he had dysarthria, which is a motor speech disorder where the muscles like the tongue and the larynx and the vocal cords are not controllable. He feared physical embarrassment from the sound or the control of his voice. But sometimes we need to look deeper into Scripture. We don't just take it for face value. We look at the story of that person and how other people tell their story. We must contrast Moses' rejection of his call with Stephen's description of Moses when he gives his message and his preaching, his condensed history of Israel. And this is found in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And listen to what Stephen says about this man named Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Oh boy, what do we do? Who do we believe? Was Moses telling the truth? Probably not. He was giving God an excuse. He was operating out of that false narrative in his mind. And if God knew Moses' limitations before he called him, then God could also know the limitations that we have before he calls us into ministry. God's reply to Moses was to remember how he was created. The one who formed Moses in his mother's womb, who created his inmost being, is the same God who designed Moses' mouth. The God who made our mouths is the same God who can fill our mouths with words. You see, God remains the creator of those even who are born deaf or mute. This is not a manufacturer's defect by God, but the reason remains hidden in His will. We don't know why in the physical, but He knows why. If God sees a fit, we can have ears, but we can still not hear. We can have a mouth, but we still cannot speak. God is also Lord over both those who have their sight and those who have become blind. That means He is the only one who can miraculously give us a voice and can miraculously take away our voice. God's simple response to Moses was to go. Just go. Not to go later, but to go now. Instant obedience. Obedience. We previously learned that God promised to be with him, but here we learned that God promised to help him. God would take the role of a teacher in his life, and Moses would take on the role of a student, and he would give him one-to-one instruction, personalized care. And in the future, the word of the Lord would flow through Moses' mouth because it was the word of the Lord. It just wasn't Moses' words. It was God's words in and through him. I'm so thankful that God has not called you and I to be self-sufficient. He invites us to bring our weakness to him so that he can demonstrate his strength within us. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly above my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Third, today, the third reason why Moses ran away from his calling was because he was plain scared. We find this in chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. And you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if you're, he'll be it will be as if he were your mouth, and and if you were God to him. Moses' third reason for rejecting his calling was because he was so scared. I would be too. He asked God to send someone else in his place. For Moses to even return to Egypt was a scary thought because he knew that he deserved death. After all, the reason why he was in this predicament in the first place was because he had murdered not a Hebrew, but an Egyptian. God's calling will often make us confront our past and confront our sin. Next, how would the Hebrews respond to Moses being their deliverer? He had never suffered a day of bondage of slavery that they had experienced. And they considered him an outsider instead of one of their very own. He was in in a family. He was in a friend. He was that guy named Moses. And he was scared of social rejection by his own people. God's calling will often make us deal with the difficult people in our lives. Of course, Moses was also scared of the unknown factors. How would, Moses react to, how would Pharaoh react to Moses? You see, Hollywood has portrayed Ramses II as Pharaoh during the return of Moses. The actual Pharaoh would have been Tutmosis III. According to Egyptian history, Moses' adoptive mother, Hatshepsut, would serve as Pharaoh for a short time. So she, there was a, a female Pharaoh at that time. When Moses was in Midian, after her husband, Thutmose II, died, she had a daughter, but she was unable to conceive any other children for herself. So there was the adopted son, Moses, and then she had a daughter. Therefore, had Moses stayed in Egypt, my friends, he would have become the pharaoh of Egypt. Isn't that a wild thought? And since Moses left, the next person in the succession was Tutmos the third, the son of Iset, and Tutmos II's second wife. So let's just say that returning to Egypt would be a very psychologically trying, emotionally difficult experience for Moses. He would be a threat to the Pharaoh. Now even though the Lord's anger burned against Moses because of his request that God send someone else in his place, the Lord made a compromise. Sometimes God does this. He will compromise with his people. God promised to send Moses' his brother, Aaron, as his very aid. Not only could Aaron speak well, but God knew that he was already on his way to meet him. Isn't that amazing? God foreknew these things. And what Moses thought he lacked, Aaron possessed. They would be a wonderful complement to one another in ministry. Aaron would function as a spokesperson on behalf of Moses to the people. You see, when we are scared, God is willing to send people our way to help us fulfill our calling. Now that we're aware of the reasons why Moses would have rejected the call of God, I want us to look at four signs today that God gave to Moses to confirm his power and his presence And the first sign was that Moses would worship again at this mountain, Mount Horeb. We find this in Exodus 3:12, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It's a geographical marker of God's promise. In other words, God would bring Moses back to the very place of his calling. Mount Horeb would play this influential role in the worship of the Israelites. The book of Exodus prefers the word Mount Sinai, while the book of Deuteronomy prefers the word Mount Horeb. And we understand these to be the very same mountains. One is referring to the mountain range, the Sinai Peninsula, while the other is referring to the literal mountain, Mount Horeb. This is the place where God made his covenant with his Israelites And so this would be a place he would return to again. The second sign was that Moses' staff would turn into a snake. You all know I hate snakes. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 says, Moses answered, If they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you, then the Lord said to him, Oh, what if, sorry, what if they do not believe me or listen to me or say that the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Think about that for a second. What's in your hand? What do you have? And a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it, just like I would. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. This sign would be a challenge that Moses would bring even to Pharaoh. And it would challenge his authority. You'll remember that Pharaoh, his crown or his headdress, had the symbol of a urus, better known as an asp or a spitting cobra. It would be at the center of his head. It was a sign of his sovereignty. It was a sign of his deity. And we see the sign at work in Exodus 7, 10 to 13. In the scripture it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. But look what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. If you think there's power in magic, there seems to be. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up the other staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. You see, Pharaoh thought he was God, but God was going to teach him that he alone is God. Later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, he used the Old Testament example to teach a New Testament lesson. Listen to the scripture, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. These are the magicians. So also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who as far as their faith is concerned are rejected. This is what false teachers would do. They would show signs and wonders and do all sorts of things but it would not work. God's power is greater than their power. So just as Janice and Jambres used their secret arts or magic to oppose Moses, so too there will be people who oppose you as you pursue the calling God has placed upon your life. But God will give you a sign. The third sign was that Moses' hand would change its form. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put, put it back into your cloak, he said. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored. It was like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. You'll remember that this happened really close to home for Moses too. God had struck his sister Miriam with leprosy because of her jealousy their jealousy of Moses' wife. Numbers 12, verse 10 and 15 detailed, when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Same description. And Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. Moving down to verse 15, so Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. There's other places in Scripture where we see this happening, this miracle or this sign. Elisha declared that the leprosy of Naaman would come upon his servant Gehazi because of his greed. In 2 Kings chapter 5.27, the Scripture concludes, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. And one last example, God struck King Uzziah with leprosy, because of his pride, when he, as an unauthorized person, a non-Levite, burnt incense in the temple of God. And second Chronicles twenty-six, nineteen to twenty-one concludes, While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, banned from the temple of the Lord. See, this third sign to Pharaoh would show that, Pharaoh, you are a jealous man, you are a greedy man, and you are a prideful man, and the Lord will not tolerate it. No matter what the obstacle is, in the midst of your calling, God will not tolerate nonsense. And lastly, the fourth sign that Moses, would, was that Moses would turn water into blood, chapter 4, verse 9. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Now, this should be differentiated from the first of the ten plagues. It was a sampling of what would eventually happen to the entire Nile River. But the sign was to show that it was God and not Pharaoh who was ultimately in control of the prosperity of Egypt. Whatever God created is subject to him. And I believe that God is still willing to give us his signs. God is still willing to give us his promises as we respond to his call upon our lives. And if you promised it, friends, it will surely come to pass because God is not a man that he should lie as we conclude this morning as the worship team comes. Does anybody love the movie The Wizard of Oz? Maybe there's some fans out there. I can't really hear you, but maybe you can type it in the chat. As a child, I watched this movie over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't really afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West. I was really afraid of the flying monkeys, real truth. See, in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy the Lion and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man arrive at the legendary Emerald City to meet with the wizard. And the wizard is reputed to hold the power to solve each of the traveler's problems. But to enter his presence, they must first traverse a long, dimly lit Gothic hallway. The lion is not alone in his cowardice as they enter the long inner sanctum. They are greeted with an explosion and billows of green smoke, And when the smoke finally clears, a giant, menacing, bodiless head shouts, I am Oz, the great and terrible. Who are you? Dorothy attempts a response, but the wizard booms. Silence! And the great and powerful Oz knows why you are here. Step forward, tin man. And the tin man approached the ominous-looking figure with great trepidation, only to hear the wizard say, You dare come to me for a heart? you clinking, clanking, clattering collection of junk. And the other travelers are met with similar greetings. To the scarecrow, he shouts, you have an effrontery to ask for a brain, you billowing bale of bovine fodder, fodder. And to the cowardly lion, all shouts, and you lion, the poor lion is overcome with fear and faints. This, unfortunately, is similar to the unflattering caricature summoned up by many when they think about God they think God is this booming thundering person God revealed himself in scripture in many times in many ways and in the story of Moses he is the holy God in Exodus 3 13 to 14 God even revealed his name in the first person He said, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the father of your gods has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, our God, He doesn't even reveal, He he does not reveal Himself in fire and smoke and authority for nothing. It's because of who He is, how great and how awesome He is. Reverend Childs, in his classic commentary on the book of Exodus, he observed the formula, the great I am, is paradoxically both an answer and a refusal of an answer. I am who I am, a self contained incomprehensible being rather god announces that his intentions will be revealed in his future acts which he now refuses to explain like moses you and i we've been called by the great i am and this god is not a fake he's not a phony like the wizard of oz who was really just a man hiding behind an emerald curtain see, the same God of the universe who called Moses to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt is also the same God who is calling you to something extraordinary. You might feel unworthy, you might feel insufficient, you might feel scared, but the God who has called you, the God of Moses, sends you with his signs and he sends you with his promises that he promises to fulfill. The question remains... Will you respond to the call of God on your life? Because many of you have been rejecting that call. Many of you have been running away from that call for most of your life. Will you respond to the call of God on your life? Not to do what you want to do, but to do what God has called you to do. You have a choice today to answer that question. and To respond to the call of God upon your life. It's unique. No one else has that same call. But it's a call for you to rise up and do what God has called you to do. Let's pray, Father.